Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. Earlier this year, we invited BHDP's four market leaders onto the podcast to discuss their predictions for 2021 in the episode, Looking Back and Looking Beyond. This episode, 2021 in a rear view, the industrial market is part of a four part series where we explore the predictions made for the year. What did we get right? What do we get wrong? And what do we foresee for 2022? I'm your host, Brian Trainer, senior strategist for BHDP, and our guest today is Michael Verdeer, BHDP's industrial market leader, to discuss the trends and tensions of manufacturing and industrial organizations. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. In 2020, we saw supplier issues for manufacturing organizations, and you predicted several solutions to mitigate these issues. Um, for 2021, you predicted single sourcing suppliers, reshoring back to the US, and more automation or uh, digital twins. Mm -hmm. Were you right? How'd, you, how'd your predictions pan out? What'd you miss? And Mm -hmm. Were there any surprises? Yeah, I mean, I think I think at the beginning of the year or late last year, I mean, we had already started to see a, a number of owners starting to reshore their production back to the United States. I think that was really driven by transportation and warehousing costs, maybe quality issues, and of course, you know, just labor costs were going up in some of the developing regions where they had offshore production in you know recent years or you know the last decade or so so we're already seeing owners starting to shift and bring that either producing it themselves back in the united states or finding suppliers that were producing back in the united states and you know this year it seemed like that was accelerating more and more and not just owners bringing their own production back to the united states but diversifying their supply chain so it's all about supply chain resiliency Right. A lot of it, you know, everyone is sort of constrained right now on getting components and things like that. And in some cases, owners were going to one supplier to get a component or a part to produce their finished goods. And now, you know, we're also seeing them diversifying, going to two or three different suppliers now, all in the name of business continuity. Right. You know, not putting, you know, all your eggs in one basket, if you will. To manage that transportation and warehousing costs that has started to increase, to manage the quality. And, you know, I think maybe it wasn't predicted, but as we start to see uh, the length of time it's taking for ships to clear customs at the ports and things, um, making products in the United States doesn't require things to clear a port, you know, yeah. customs. So <laughs> there's some advantage there also. So I think some of the, some of the owners that had already started producing in the United States, they're you know, seeing some of the benefits of that as well. A bit of an advantage, like mm -hmm. a home field advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you say all your eggs in one basket, maybe think don't put all your widgets in one supplier. I don't know if that's the new Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, yeah. So what is a digital twin? It's a, a term or phrase that has started to be used in the industrial market. Doing a, a facility expansion, manufacturing expansion, is very expensive. The first approach is to increase productivity, throughput, through efficiency means, through speed ups. But you know, at some point, there may be a capital 
project where they've got to expand a building, buy new capital equipment. That's very expensive. And what comes with that, of course, is staff as well, you know, the technicians, things like that, to operate these advanced production lines. What we've seen is using technology or simulation to explore these type of scenarios of, well, you know, if we expand and we put in one production line, two production lines, three, maybe there's new business development. So it's kind of analyzing different scenarios digitally using simulation without making that huge capital investment and bringing a more database decision-making methodology to the owners versus past, maybe they didn't have the benefit of simulation. So the term that's being used in the industry is digital twin. Let's take, you know, basically it's the twin of the physical manufacturing environment. Let's reproduce it digitally and do simulation. Gotcha. So if I move this machine over here, what's the, what's the throughput? Or how does that impact the efficiency of the production, right? So you can create a digital model of the production and then like parametrically fiddle with it until you get it better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything from, you know, looking at material flows, getting raw materials to the line, finished goods, if they do a speed up on a certain module or unit op on a production line, how does that affect the facility upstream and downstream? Do I need another palletizer? Do I need more dock doors? Do I need more forklift operators? Those kind of things. And identifying where bottlenecks might be in the facility. So you can do all that and turn a lot of those dials. Yeah. You know, like I said, I, I call it sensitivity analysis. You're turning the dials up or down on a lot of different things within the facility to see what happens. And then you can make a decision on the option that they might want to pursue with a capital project. That's pretty interesting. It doesn't solve all the problems, but it'll help you make better decisions, right? Certainly helps make, make better decisions. Yeah. But like I say, you know, it takes the emotion out of it. You know, a lot of the a lot of the owners that we work with, there's large teams. You know, some of the team members have their idea of what would be the, the optimal solution. And when you bring the option of simulation to the table and it becomes more data-based, it takes that emotion out of it. You know, it's kind of hard to argue with data. So, One of the things that has become a hot topic this year is the mass migration of employees that we've been referring to as the great resignation. Mm-hmm. Has your market felt an impact from that? And how so? Yeah, I would say in many ways, you know, talking to a lot of the owners that we work with, I mean, just attracting and retaining employees has become a challenge. What's interesting, though, is this is one of the things I didn't necessarily think about at the beginning of the year or last year. We knew that supply chain resiliency was a challenge, getting components and things to produce products. I don't know that we necessarily anticipated what you call the great resignation. (laughs) And it has really become a priority in some of the projects that we're working on, or I would say most of the projects that we're working on with owners. You know, the beginning of a project, we try to define what the goals are, the vision, the success measures. And I would say in the past, the culture, the employee benefits or amenities within a manufacturing facility did not necessarily make it to the top of that, you know, I'll call it success criteria. But that's right at the heart of our collective ambition, design for people. That's our promise on every project. So it's refreshing that that is becoming more and more of a priority with the industrial clients that we work with. I know one of the terms that was coined during one of the kickoff meetings was, I want to make this new manufacturing facility a stay place 
for our employees. The CEO wanted people to be excited to come to the facility and work and create some amenities where they'd, they'd actually want to stay and not just rush out every day. So there's things like, you know, cafeterias that are being introduced into the programs, you know, wellness centers. You know, some of the older manufacturing facilities, you didn't have access to a lot of natural light. Right. So now that's an important success criteria. You know, the other thing is there's a lot of competition, too. I mean, a lot of the manufacturing facilities we work in, I mean, these are high-speed, advanced manufacturing systems. And they require folks with engineering degrees to run these lines, to do troubleshooting on them. When there's a failure mode, you know, they got to get that line back up and running. And so, you know, you're competing with other types of industries for these engineers and the talent. Owners are, are really making that a priority now. Supply chain has been an issue through the pandemic and now. Mm-hmm. Is there any sign of relief on the supply chain side for your market? You know, Brian, I, I really haven't seen that. It's really progressed not only components to produce materials, but building materials. Yeah. So it's kind of changed the way that we execute projects, too. You know, building materials, whether it's joists or insulation, you name it, rebar. I mean, some of these, and then long lead equipment, you know, chillers, air handling units, things like that. A lot of the projects we're working on, we're doing phased permitting strategies. You know, we are accelerating the design to release a steel mill order or something like that so that they can get that ordered early on because of the lead time. Same things with these long lead pieces of equipment, air handlers, chillers, like I mentioned. You know, so maybe where we would complete the design for all disciplines, do a 30, 60, 90 review at, you know, SDDD, CD phase. Well, now we're pulling up a lot of the steel and long lead equipment up into, say, you know, a 50% design complete to get that out the door and uh, get it on order, you know, to meet those lead times. Is there any benefit to the phased system that might endure beyond a supply chain issue? Like, are, are you seeing anything positive come out of using the phased approach? Yeah, it's not that we didn't do that in the past. It's just it, it's almost a necessity now Yeah, you can't you know, because <laughs> of the long lead times. We have to look at those, those kind of execution strategies. I would say it makes the execution a little bit more complicated because you're breaking packages out. There's more submittals that are coming in even while you're continuing to design. And, of course, there's a little bit of risk of that, too. You're having to catch some of the steel superstructure revisions as you're getting you know, shop drawings you know, while you're still designing. So, so there's a little bit of risk there. A little bit of additional effort on in the execution phase, but you know I think I've not run into a manufacturing project that it wasn't schedule driven. Also, right, cost and best value was always a priority, but they're also all very schedule driven. So I think we will see more and more owners asking for you know more of a phased package or permitting strategy. Certainly. So Michael, who are the major influencers in your market right now? from owners or is it the employees driving the market or the consumers driving the market? Where is industrial being influenced from? So many different locations. I mean, Amazon's a big influencer. Everybody's buying online and the demand is is great and everybody wants it next day. I mean, that's an influencer. But I think those that could influence the industry in a very positive way are certainly institutes of higher learning. You know, I've talked to a lot of owners and those trade type schools and things like that, machinists. So those types of curriculum, 
the partnerships between the industry and the institutes of higher learning or trade schools. Those would be tremendous influencers because talking to owners, they're having a hard time finding that type of skill. So it comes back to the attract and retain. But even if you're attracting and retaining, you know, companies are competing for the same talent. What I'm gleaning from that is, uh, talking to owners, is it's just not a huge pool of that type of talent. You know, the other is just our own trade policies to make it advantageous to bring production back to the United States. That would be a huge influencer as well. One of the things I heard, we have a automotive manufacturer that we work with, that they are having trouble hiring people to work for them, where Mm -hmm. it used to be there was a prestige, oh, I work for this Mm -hmm. company, and now they're having trouble getting people to work on the manufacturing line. So now they're reimagining their assembly process from the human perspective, what would make people want to be in here mm, and, and mm-hmm. not just come work for us, but want to stay. So that's what we're in yeah, similar. Create to that stay place. <laughs> yeah. How do we create yeah. that stay place? And they're like, what happens when we paint things and they're not just industrial gray and the color of the mm-hmm. girders and like, well, that's a good start. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. We talked about technology yeah. and doing simulation on plants, but you know, we had already seen more and more automation in some of these advanced manufacturing facilities. And I think, more and more, you know, we're seeing even more of that, you know, owners move in that direction because if they can't find the talent to operate the lines, you know, where in the past maybe it was more manual assembly or production, right? Uh, they've really got to find ways to automate, you know. Yeah, that's what, yeah, so technology could accelerate mm-hmm. that, but also it requires a different kind of manufacturing worker. So the people that are working there suddenly have to have a higher technical ability. Well, that's what I say. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these you know, high-speed, advanced manufacturing facilities that we're helping design, they do require folks with you know, electrical, mechanical, mechatronics-type backgrounds to do these troubleshooting on these lines when there's a failure mode to get it back up and running as quickly as possible. You know, they also need them to do you know, some of the, the, the development work on these lines. You know, I, I talked about doing speed-up initiatives. Right. So yeah, it's they are degreed professionals that are working in these facilities. Very interesting. Michael, anything else you want to share before we go? I think uh, this past year, I mean, the industrial market has been, uh, I mean, we've been blessed with, with a lot of great work this year, and it's, it's wonderful to see a lot of manufacturing come back to the United States. I'd like to continue to see more and more of that. There's lots of opportunity, and with help, from partners, you know, you know, institutes of higher learning, trade schools, some of our trade policies, that will that will continue. I just look forward to it. It's what I've done for 30 plus years, passionate about it, so look forward to continue doing it. Perfect. Michael, thank you very much. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, for this episode, 2021 in the Rearview, the industrial market, with Michael Verdeer, industrial market leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.